Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's July 14th. It's Thursday. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Big show today. Uh, one of the uh, more prominent, certainly, I think, most polarizing candidates in the United Conservative Party's leadership race here in Alberta will join us in just a moment. Danielle Smith, uh, we invited you to submit your questions. We have literally hundreds of them on the tweet alone that we sent out yesterday, about 220 questions, some of them serious, some of them not, and dozens more by way of our email account to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can hit us up if you're watching or listening to this live, either on YouTube or the Mixler live streaming audio app. You can hit us up in our YouTube chat. You can, of course, use our hashtag as well, RealTalkRJ, and we'll be keeping an eye on that. There's a lot to talk about. Coming up in about a half hour from now, we'll talk to human rights advocate Mark Charrington. Mark's a different kind of a guy. He doesn't necessarily beat to the same drum that everybody else does. Folks that are working in the public service or social work, working with folks that are less fortunate, people that are down and out, so to speak. Mark provides his personal cell phone number to people and essentially puts himself on the clock, around the clock to represent people or help people out in court, to act as an advocate or a go-between, to ensure that individuals that would otherwise fall through the cracks are getting the health care, for example, that they need, that family and child services, the interactions with them are appropriate and productive whenever possible. It comes with its frustrations. It comes with its stresses. I've known Mark for many years. He'll be making his Real Talk debut this morning, and I'm looking forward to that. We'll get to your thoughts as well, of course, through the broadcast today. And we welcome those, as mentioned, the Real Talk RJ hashtag you know is powered by the team at park power we've been telling you that for a year and a half now they've been with real talk ensuring that these conversations happen well park power is not just looking out for their own bottom line a lot of power providers utility providers of course you know they're in it for the money that's the business that's the whole point but the ceo of park power reached out to us last week he said hey real talk team he said there's this electricity rebate incentive from the Alberta government. We're concerned that some of our customers, some of our fellow Albertans might be getting scammed on this. They wanted me to draw your attention to the blog that they have at parkpower.ca. So you scroll down the page, you get down to their blog section, and you'll see there a post on the government of Alberta's electricity rebate program. Phishing scams you need to be aware of. Check it out on their website. When you bring your business over to Park Power, make sure you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. That'll get you $70 off your first bill. Our friends at Apex Automation want to remind you that if you're an engineer, your new career could start today at Apex Engineering. If you're big on ensuring efficiencies and being able to deliver on the profit front for your clients, if you know that a big part of that is people power, you could be a great fix for Apex Automation. Achieve great things, reach your full potential, and enjoy their flexible hours, their professional development opportunities, and quite frankly, a fun corporate culture they're doing work across north america and growing expanding around the world it's a remarkable story you can learn more about what they do at apexautomation.ca 
Our leadoff guest this morning wants to be the next premier of Alberta. She was almost there 10 years ago in the 2012 general election as leader of the official opposition, Alberta's Wild Rose Party. She's no stranger to provincial politics, having represented constituents in southern Alberta for quite some time. For six years, Danielle Smith and I were colleagues on Chorus Radio, and of course now she's seeking the leadership of the United Conservative Party of Alberta. I appreciate you making time for the show today. A good morning to you. My pleasure. Nice to see you, Ryan. Yeah, you as well. We've got a ton of questions, as mentioned, more than 220 submitted uh, by way of our tweet yesterday. And I've got a ton on email here, so I want to get right to it tonight. uh, You announced a short time ago that you're going to be meeting. You're going to be appearing tonight at a Calgary rally with Mm -hmm. uh, longtime Calgary flame Theron Fleury. And I think it's gobsmacked a lot of people. What's the message you're trying to send appearing with Theo on stage tonight? Well, the main thing, especially over the last two years, is we've had a pretty serious mental health crisis that we're seeing not only among the seniors who've been in long-term care, but also among kids and teenagers. And as as you know, Theo has has done so much work on mental health because of the the issues that he had. In fact, one of the last interviews I did when I was on the air, he talked about the strategy that he had to deal with some of the trauma that he's experienced. And it was to find your five, just have five people that will call you and love you and be there for you no matter what. And I I think that when, as we're entering into this post COVID world, we're dealing with a lot of the lockdown issues. I'm really looking forward to getting his advice on how we deal with those mental health issues. But you know that Theo is about so much. I mean, I think that his public presentation has departed drastically from that of mental health advocate. We probably got more questions about the Theo Fleury event tonight than we mm-hmm. did uh, about anything else, including this one from Salt Spring Islander, who, who wonders how Albertans are supposed to take you seriously when you use Theo Fleury to campaign. I mean, this is a guy that's tweeted that with vaccine passports, pedophiles will know where your kids are all times. This is a guy that says he's talked to Vladimir Putin, says he loves Canada and the trucker convoy. Theo Fleury met with Roger Stone, I mean, connected to the January 6th insurrection just last week in New York. People have real concerns about mm-hmm. what Theo Fleury is bringing to the table these days. There's a lot of other mental health advocates you could meet with that aren't Theo Fleury. Well, I mean, let's be frank. Uh, obviously, when we get into the fall respiratory virus season, I would take a very different approach than what we've seen historically. I think we need to move to focus protection. I've said we will not lock down again. I want to amend the Human Rights Act to make sure that people cannot be discriminated against based on their medical choice or their political opinions, because I think we've had a, quite enough of cancel culture, quite frankly. And so uh, we have an alignment on a few policies. Obviously, I don't agree with everything every person who endorses me says. But I think we've got enough common ground on the issue of of taking an approach of focus protection, not having vaccine mandates, but most importantly, on what are we going to do about the mental health crisis that's been created over the last two years because of lockdowns. And that's the reason why he's uh, he's coming to speak at my event tonight. So you you said that one of the first things you would do as premier is apologize to the pastors that were jailed for for Mm -hmm. continuing with their church services, for refusing to adhere to the public health guidelines through some of the highest waves of the pandemic. You concerned about what that might say to the majority of people that adhered to those same requirements when it came to their small businesses, when it came to their family gatherings, people that didn't have the family Christmases, people that didn't celebrate lives or conduct funerals when people had died of COVID-19. You think an apology to the pastors needs to be the top priority? 
Well, I, th- I think that we, we took a, a wrong turn, quite frankly. I mean, there was nobody who would begrudge the, the government in the first few months of COVID as we were trying to figure out what was happening there. But I think we began to see as we got into uh, July and August, even of 2020, that we could have taken a path to focus protection. We knew at that time that it was those over the age of 70 with multiple pre-existing conditions who are most at risk. We really should have focused on protecting our, our seniors in, in long-term care congregate settings. Th- those really is where we saw the the greatest risk of hospitalization and death. And I think that punishing uh, regular citizens, healthy citizens, young people was the wrong strategy. So I think we should apologize to everyone, quite frankly. And there there was, I know that, uh, because I've I've talked with the uh, pastor Coates and I I know that they were taking uh, strategies to make sure that their most vulnerable were protected. They did have online services for those who weren't comfortable being in, in person. They did have a separate section where people could sit apart so they could socially distance and wear a mask. And so I, I think that there was a bit of a misunderstanding about the measures that he was taking. But the, the main thing about, about church services, especially when you're going through a tough time, is that that's what's needed for a lot of people's mental health and a lot of uh, community connection. And so I think that uh, we could have taken a, a less aggressive approach in enforcement. Certainly in other provinces, they managed to uh, get by without jailing three pastors. We, we never should have done that. We, cert- we clearly went too far. And then when you look at how they were treated, I mean, Pastor Coates in jail for four weeks at the same time as they were releasing hardened criminals onto the street because of COVID overcrowding. Art Pavlovsky in jail in solitary confinement for four weeks. Come on. Like they, they went way too far. How well, I mean, Pavlovsky himself, I mean, that guy's got his hands into everything when it when it, especially when it came to pushing back on on some of the COVID actions, public health measures. But, but the guy's been a longtime architect of a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, how would you manage that as a political leader uh, in a circumstance where the healthcare system, doctors, nurses, especially in ICUs are saying we're absolutely slammed, overloaded and overwhelmed. And you've got people that are openly defying those same public health measures that are trying to keep this thing under control. I mean, how would you manage that in a way that you think you could maintain the trust of the citizens that put you there? I think we have to uh, challenge Alberta Health Services. They are, are either incompetent or that, they, or they went out of their way to sabotage the UCP government. I watched the fir- very first press conference that the premier gave back in in March or, or April, where he gave direct instruction to Alberta Health Services to increase the number of ICU beds by 1,089. And then I think everybody was going along thinking they were working on finding that surge capacity. Then when the Delta variant came along last fall, we found out that not only had they not increased ICU beds, they had decreased them. And I've spent a lot of time talking to frontline nurses and doctors, especially in rural areas. And they told me that their um, facilities were empty. So Alberta Health Services, I think, let us all down by failing to find that surge capacity. We gave them lots of money, lots of time. And I think that that's where we should be focusing our effort, because what I'm concerned about is that every single year we get into a crunch with the respiratory virus season. We cannot allow incompetent management at Alberta Health Services to say the only answer is to shut down society, close schools, punish kids. That's not appropriate. The, the, The right answer is making sure we've got enough capacity to manage that surge when it comes as it does every single year. Some years it's going to be influenza. Some years it's going to be coronaviruses. Some years it's going to be adenoviruses or rhinoviruses. There's always something that is going to cause real problems. And we we have to make sure that our health system is up to it. Clearly wasn't this time around. Hmm. You don't really think that Alberta Health Services was trying to sabotage the government, do you? 
I don't know how to interpret it any other way. All I do know is that Dr. Verno Yu was let go a month, a year before her, uh, her contract extension was up. So somebody's come to the same conclusion I has that she just wasn't up for the job. Yeah. Someone trying to save his own political skin, probably, don't you think? I mean, that's what prompted this entire leadership no, race. I, I look at the facts and the facts are they uh, were given a direct instruction to increase surge, surge capacity and they failed. They reduced uh, surge capacity or they reduced ICU capacity. And that's unacceptable. One of the ways that you've grabbed a lot of Albertans' attention through this campaign is talking about this Alberta Sovereignty Act. Uh, Jason Kenney's former principal secretary, lawyer Howard Anglin, with a piece at thehub.ca, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, just came out, says that now that Danielle Smith has endorsed this, we have to take this deeply unserious idea seriously. Mm -hmm. He asserts the Alberta Sovereignty Act is nothing but a sideshow scam. He goes on to describe it as baloney, bunk, balderdash, bunkum, hooey, hogwash, hokum, flim, flam, tommy rot, poppycock, and fiddle. He says it's the political equivalent of a sideshow tent painted with lurid images of wonders never before beheld by human eyes. He says it depends on the willingness of the marks to believe the unbelievable. Essentially, this says that Alberta would not respect any federal law that stood in the face of Alberta's best interests. Experts are saying that it's unenforceable and it would be laughed out of the courts. What do you say to them? Well, I'll tell you what the Sovereignty Act would state. It would state, given that Alberta has sovereign power granted to it under Section 92 and 92A of the Constitution that gives us exclusive jurisdiction over the following areas, and given that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is the highest law of the land that establishes the rights and freedoms of individual Canadians and Albertans, we will not enforce any federal law that infringes on these two sections of the Constitution. So I'm reasserting that the Constitution matters. I think we've had a, a lawless federal government, quite frankly. They declared war on us in November 2015 when they violated the Constitution and created a crisis by saying we're not allowed to sell, sell our resources. They brought through Bill C-69 that doesn't allow to develop, develop resources without their approval, creating utter chaos in the investment community. They brought through Bill C-48 which is only targeting Alberta's bitumen. The, the, the Constitution says that they have power over trade and commerce. They're supposed to use that to facilitate trade. They've been using it to block trade. So what do you do in the face of a lawless federal government and a Senate that doesn't hold them to account and a court system that doesn't hold them to account? We have been given those powers in the Constitution to be able to draw a clear, bright line saying, no, you can't cross this. And that's what we would do. There's ample precedent for it too, as well. I mean, when they declared the Emergencies Act, which of course we're now seeing there was no justification to do, Quebec convened their National Assembly and said, we're not going to enforce that here. So we should have done the same. We also should have done the same when they started seizing bank accounts. We should have said to people, move your money over to the credit unions. We will not seize and freeze bank accounts. In British Columbia, they have asked for an exemption from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. So they are not going to be enforcing the possession of hard drugs. So they've been able to get an exemption from federal law. It, there'd be all kinds of ways that but we would look at, at enforcing that so that we can we can declare and enforce our charter rights and our constitutional rights. That's all this is about. Yeah, but legal and constitutional experts, I mean, conservatives, Howard Anglin was Jason Kenney's principal secretary. He said, I mean, I read his lead on purpose. I mean, he's he's mocking it. And these are conservative lawyers. These are people that are saying this. This is not even plausible. It's not even realistic. <laughs> You're making promises you can't keep. You're duping people. That's what they're saying. 
Well, if that's the kind of advice our premiers have been getting, no wonder Ottawa craps all over us. I can tell you, Quebecers are not sitting in fear, wondering if the federal government is going to stamp all over their jurisdiction. And it's because they've drawn a clear line. And so if we are going to get respect from Ottawa, we have to stop acting like a junior player. We have to stop cowering. We have to start asserting that we have, we under, that we've read the constitution, maybe Howard hasn't recently. I would direct into those sections I mentioned earlier, that we've read the constitution. We understand that the constitution gives us those rights. And we do intend to defend them. And we, we'll, we'll turn the tables on the federal government. Look what they do. They interfere with our rights all the time. And then may, they make us go to court to try to get them back. Well, we're going to assert that our rights matter. And I will argue all day long in the court of law that when we say we're not enforcing that federal law because of this section of our, of our constitution and because of these charter rights, and then we'll just see what the court has to say about it. But I'm, I want to flip the, the I want to turn the tables on them for a change. You and I covered several elections together, provincial elections, federal elections on those panels where we sat also sat <laughs> Charles Adler, the Titan of talk radio. And I'm sure you've seen his tweets about you in the past couple of days, calling you out publicly. He, he, he recites that time. You and me, I told the story yesterday, him at Brad wall were out for beers. He says less than five years ago, my friend, Danielle Smith told my friend, Ryan Jesperson, she was unelectable. He says, my unspoken thought, lose the rube feed, be the whip smart conservative that you are. And you'll come back big. I never thought that doubling down on rube food was Smith's ticket to ride. I got an email here from Alicia, who's an audience member. She saw Charles's tweets. Uh, Charles went on, by the way, to say you're running with hucksters who are beloved by lunatics. He says you can be a populist healer, but not a real one. You're a fan of quackery. This was Charles Adler talking about you. Alicia says it's easy for anyone to minimize or dismiss the opinions of those who oppose you, either politically or personally. I'd like to know how you respond to a public critique like this from someone who's not just a former colleague, but it sounds like a friend. And what would you say to someone like me, wonders Alicia, who's deeply concerned that a leadership front runner like you seems comfortable allowing fringe elements mm -hmm. of our province to dictate the direction of your policy? Well, I think it's a mischaracterization of people who are in favor of uh, bodily autonomy and vaccine choice. You know, I wish actually, quite frankly, people who supported a woman's right to choose, as I do, would also support everybody's right to bodily autonomy when they choose their, their medical procedures. That, that to me seems a big inconsistency on the left. And I try to be very consistent. And so the I, so I'm assuming that they're talking about the vaccine choice crowd. And I can I can tell you, I've been to countless coffee parties of the especially in suburban Calgary, from people, moms, dads, mostly moms, actually, who are just very concerned about what the last two years have done to their kids. And if I want to talk about the mischaracterization, one of the, the very first women I met was Sandra, who is a black lesbian. And one of the reasons why she opposes vaccine mandates is she said, my grandfather grew up in Alabama and I don't want to see our society being segregated around people's medical choices to be vaccinated the, or unvaccinated. You're not comparing vaccine mandates to slavery though, are you? You're telling me she's a lunatic. And so I'm just letting you know. Well, I'm not the saying anybody's person, a no, lunatic. No, 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 you just read, you just read out an email yeah. saying that people like her are lunatics. So well, I think they're in flurries a the lunatic. No, 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 I'm just wanting to let you know, stop, stop changing the subject. I want you to know the type of person I'm meeting, because I think that mischaracterization of people is what's causing the polarization. I think we actually do need to talk to people about why they want vaccine choice rather than mischaracterizing them with name calling. Yeah, I, you know what? I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, the comparison about abortion or a woman's right to, you know, access health services, a basic right to that, and the vaccine conversation works because you see placards, you see signs at protest that say, my body, my choice. But for most people, that's kind of where the comparison ends, reasonably speaking, because number one, pregnancy is not contagious. And, 
and, and number two, abortion had nothing to do with the pandemic, right? More than 90% of people, generally speaking, maybe 85 in Alberta, but the number's staggeringly high, got vaccinated, got on board. I mean, this isn't really even for most people an issue anymore, but it seems to be kind of the fulcrum of your campaign right now. It just doesn't really seem to make any sense at a time where Albertans are saying that cost of living is out of control, inflation's out of control. They want to know how this next government is going to manage Alberta's finances. I don't see a lot of people talking about vaccine mandates anymore. Well, I think that the federal government is. I mean, when you look at what uh, uh, the federal health minister uh, Jean-Yves Duclos said on July 4th, he said that there's no such thing as being fully vaccinated anymore, that people are going to be required to have a vaccination every nine months. I don't know what required means. That sounds like a mandate. That sounds like they're going to be bringing them back. And if they do, we have to be prepared with a response. And my response is that people have a right to make their own choices about their medical decisions. We've always had that. Uh, respiratory viruses are dangerous. So, I mean, let's make no mistake about it. Influenza is also dangerous. But we never had vaccine mandates with influenza. We only had about a 33% uptake on that. It's pretty good. Yeah, but I don't that, think that-, uh, that that more people want to have the uh, the the coronavirus or the COVID nineteen. 19 vaccination. But, you know, I think as we start getting into shot number four and five and six, I mean, I, I don't know. I, when, when does the line stop for you, Ryan? When, well, I mean, I'm you, not when, a doctor. I'm not a virologist or an immunologist. Right. And, and neither are you, quite frankly. And no, I think but that's that a lot why, of people. And that's why I'm letting it people decide. Some people wanted two. Some people wanted three. Some people after four, especially the people I know who have had uh, who have had COVID a couple of times after being vaccinated three times. They're now saying, OK, you know what? I don't need four and five and six. And I think we should uh, respect the fact that people are, are want to make that choice themselves. Sure. I also think that, and I think you might agree, that comparing COVID-19 to influenza is disingenuous. I mean, like from an actual scientific standpoint, the two are incomparable. Would you agree? Well, I think that the, the vaccine itself has demonstrated it's quite similar to influenza. It's not like polio vaccine, for instance. You get a polio shot. You don't need to have multiple shots of polio and then still get polio. I yeah, think but, that, uh, but no, no, I think I think this is important, Ryan, is that I think everybody had hoped that the, the COVID-19 vaccine would offer a sterilizing immunity, that you'd be able to get a, a shot or two and it would be over with, you'd be fully protected. And it turns out that that's not the case. So it is actually more going to be like an influenza vaccine where uh, those who are most at risk are probably going to want to take it every year and we have to make it available to them every year, but we shouldn't force it on every person every nine months. That's where I draw the line mike the paramedic sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com he says since taking office the united conservative party's leadership has belittled teachers physicians nurses and basically the public sector they've done very little to improve ems or paramedic services with a 10-step plan that is band-aid at best mike says after working through two of the hardest years of our careers i'm done playing nice with politicians I'm now a UCP member, so I can vote in the leadership race, uh, whether it's the separatist ideologies or the conservative code for breaking unions with phrases like Uberizing the public sector. That came from you. He says it basically implies contract positions with no benefits or pensions. Uh, he says, will any of the candidates, will Danielle Smith bring back trust? Will she commit to stop attacking those in the public sector who simply want to serve their community. He says, time will tell. I'll watch later. My shift starts in a few minutes. That from Mike, the paramedic. What would you say to him in particular about Uberizing the public sector? A lot of people asked about that. 
Well, I, th I think the, the the main thing that they're looking at in government, and I've talked to Nathan Glubish, who is our um, our lead on digital transformation, is in the context of land titles transfer. Right now, it's taking 110 days to transfer land titles. He wants to create a, a more automated system where once the contracts are signed, you would be able to get instantaneous transfer of title. And I think that that's worth us looking at how we can use technology to do things like that. Same thing for well site transfers. Well site transfers are taking up uh, 60 days. And if we could find a way of mechanizing that. So once all the contracts are settled on both sides and it's a simple transfer, that we can do it without it taking those kinds of delays because those delays cost money. So it was in that context that I've been talking about how we can use technology. So when it comes to uh, ambulance, I think that I've gone to, I've, I've spoken with George Porter. He put the, the issue of ambulance on my radar probably over 10 years ago, as well as Rick Fraser, who used to be the negotiator for the paramedics union prior to joining politics. And the, there's two main things that we need to do actually three main things i think that would make a huge difference in the life of paramedics one is that when we do the uh the off takes and onboarding at hospitals if we had a team of paramedics who were able to receive patients i've been told that a team of paramedics stationed at the hospital would be able to handle four patients so if you end up with two teams you could have eight ambulance do the drop off stabilize the patient and then have those ambulance go go again that would be one thing i would look at the other is that we're using our ambulance for non-emergency transport so if somebody needs to go from one facility to another for a doctor's appointment, there are other vehicles and other services we could use for that so that we're not taking our ambulance off the road. And the third thing is that uh, they actually have a doctor that um, is uh, dedicated to paramedics, where if they find a patient and they show up and they think that they can treat them in place, they can call the doctor to get a second opinion and validate that so they don't have to be transferred to the hospital in the first place. I think we need to formalize those circumstances, maybe make more doctors available. And those things would make an enormous difference in making sure that our, our really highly trained paramedics are, are not sitting for eight-hour shifts uh, at any of our, our urban hospitals. Got an email from Cole who says, I've been a member of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta, the Wild Rose Party, and the United Conservative Party. He says, I'm curious to know why you're convinced your so-called Sovereignty Act will not chase away investment like similar policy decisions did to Quebec back in the late 80s, early 90s. He wonders, what would you have done differently in the pandemic beyond shutdowns? And what are you going to do to reform our healthcare system so we have capacity? Would you be willing to bring in a user pay option when it comes to surgeries? So he wants to know why you think... There's three why questions you, why there, Ryan. Are, yeah, so why, are you, why, are you, why don't we start with this? And I'll follow up to make sure we hit them all. Why are you convinced or why don't you think that this so-called Sovereignty Act will chase away investment? I guess what he's asking is, what message do you think it sends to the rest of Canada and the rest of the world? Look who's chasing away investment. It's the federal government chasing away investment. I mean, Rachel Notley thought that we would get social license by giving us a carbon tax and by putting a cap on emissions for oil sands and by phasing out coal and by having aggressive targets to reduce methane. That was supposed to get us social license. Look what it got us instead. It got us the cancellation of Northern Gateway and Energy East and Keystone XL. It got us the cancellation of the Saguenay Export Project off the west, off the east, off the east coast, which would have helped our friends in Europe. It, it got us the cancellation of the tech frontier mine because the federal government has created so much uncertainty about the regulatory process that our businesses are spending billions of dollars with no end in sight. So let's keep in mind the environment that's been created. It's the federal government that has created chaos. We need to restore some of that chaos by saying the constitution matters and that our right to develop our resources has been enshrined in law 
under section 92 and 92A. And I think that will attract investment back. And I, I prefer to look at Peter Lougheed. I mean, Peter Lougheed had to draw a line in the sand. I'm sure at the time people had a lot of consternation when he took a really hard position and turned down our production capacity to 85% just to send a message to the rest of the country. Now, I think we can do better than that. I think that we can uh, create a, an approach that actually keeps our economy going. So it benefits us, our workers, and the rest of the country. Uh, but the, the point is, we're going to have to be very aggressive in pushing that forward because we've got a, a federal government and an environment minister that is hostile to our economic interests. And I suppose we can write letters and we can do the diplomatic thing and we can wait for the Quebec, uh, for the three, you know, the Quebec stack court of, uh, of the Supreme Court to come down with a decision, or we can just say the constitution matters and we can fight this out. And that's, that's my, my approach is let's assert the powers that we have. And I think we will restore investor confidence and then we can fight it out with the federal government. I suspect that if we draw that line and start showing them the ways in which we're developing our resources and still be on the path to net zero, they shouldn't have any reason to stop us. And if you look at the Pathways Project from the uh, the five major oil sands companies, they've committed to net zero. If you look at all the great work being done on hydrogen, that whole project is around capturing CO2 and burying it underground or putting it to useful purposes. These are not at odds with the federal government's aspirations. And I think we just have to do a better job of communicating that. We got I think a, we can find common ground. Ton of questions about your idea about, and I don't want to sort of spell it out. I'll let you do that. But the so-called education voucher type idea where I, I saw it proposed that teachers could kind of homeschool students, like five students in their basement. How do, you, how do you see this working? And what would you say to people that are concerned that diverting resources away from public education is the last thing we need to do right now? Hmm. Well, my grandmother came out from, my great-grandmother came out from New Brunswick teaching at a one-room schoolhouse. This is how schooling began on the prairies. And what I'm hearing is there's a lot of families that have turned to homeschooling. One mom in particular comes to my mind. She's turned to homeschooling. She's got nine kids. And she would actually feel more comfortable having a professional teacher that would be able to teach all of those kids. And so that got me thinking, there's a micro-school movement happening in the U.S., including in California, which is a Democrat state. Sometimes they're called learning pods. If we were to be able to have a teacher-led approach to having smaller schools and, and one-room schoolhouses, that would kind of get back to, I think, the original way that we used to educate would give more options for teachers. I've already met with the Alberta Teachers Association to get them thinking about it because they'd have to play a role in affirming the, the, the certification of the staff. But I, I think the real problem is that teachers are also burnt out about the, the size of classes and the lack of resources in the classes. I, uh, I really liked Stephen Mandel's idea when he was running last time around. Every single classroom should have a teacher and an education assistant. And if there is a, a child who needs round-the-clock medical care, as many do, they should have a full-time assistant associated with them. I don't know how teachers are managing if the, with, the, with the diversity and complexity in classrooms without that additional support. So I would say there's sort of two avenues. is Let's uh, support homeschool uh, parents by allowing them to hire certificated teachers as, as their kids get into the older grades. Let's give more options for teachers as well. And then let's, on the other hand, also try to find a way to make the, the classrooms more supported. A lot of people, uh, I think, have been paying attention to this reporting from independent media outlet, The Breakdown. You can tell me about this crowdfunding effort you had raised about 100 grand, more than 100 grand uh, for a promised legal fight. You wanted to see the Canadian government forced to make this Janssen vaccine available to Canadians at the time. You wanted early outpatient treatment available for those who developed COVID-19 symptoms. Raised over 100 grand. I know 10 grand of that went to I think it was a law firm, right? That, that, that your campaign chair, Rob Anderson, is involved with. People want to know where the rest of the money went. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I've just been talking with the, the lawyers because part of the issue we face, we did do a, a number of interviews with a number of doctors to see if some of them would come forward and take on the challenge. And unfortunately, uh, they're terrified of the government, frankly. They're they're afraid that the government is, uh, that the College of Physicians and Surgeons, once they get a, a black mark on their file, that they're going to um, not be able to to to, uh, to do their work in the in the rest, anywhere in the world. So I've been in touch with the uh, JCCF, J the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. They've got two ongoing um, pieces of litigation. And so we're just going to piggyback on that, we, where the, the one of them is to protect the, the rights of doctors to have the right to treat and the right to um, offer medical exemptions. So we're, we're just going to, to piggyback on some of the lawsuits that are already going on rather than have our own separate one. Did any of the funds raised from that crowdfunding effort go toward funding your leadership campaign? It all, it, it, I was going through WKA lawyers. I mean, no. And so yes, uh, $30,000 went to WKA lawyers. Okay. We so we so $30,000 from the crowdfunding went to fund your leadership campaign. <laughs> no, that's what I'm asking. It's a question. no. $30,000 okay. went to WKA lawyers yeah. uh, because we were doing, as I mentioned, the pre-work of just trying to, to vet the different uh, doctors to, to try to find a, a candidate who would be able to help us. And then we ultimately mm. are going to be working with JCCF to, to support their uh, to support their effort. Okay, so to be clear, no funds raised from that crowdfunding effort are involved in the 175000 whatever it is that you just no, called me up and paid no. the other None day. Of, yeah, no. you, you know, I have to ask, right? People want me to ask None. the question. No, yeah. none of that. You can't do that. Remember, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, because all of the donations raised have to be tax receipted. Mm. And so you will be able to see at the end of it, every single person is going to have a, a tax receipt for the money raised directly to my campaign. None mm. of that went to to uh, none of that money of one hundred seventy five thousand came from that fund. No. Were you trying to send a message? Because you did. Um putting that 175 grand all up front at once uh, for, for background for people that don't know you got to come up with 50 and then another 50 and then another 50 and then there's kind of a 25,000 good behavior bond right that's how that goes yep. um you paid the 175 all up front and, and people have said it was a bit of a flex it sent a bit of a message that you're not having problems getting signatures or coming up with the cash was it on purpose to pay it all at once yep <laughs> I want people to know I can raise money. I want people to know I have support. I want people to know that we're going to bring this party together. That's what this whole exercise is about. We have seen a number of different conservative groups set up and a lot of, I think, despair among the conservative movement looking for another option. And I want people to see that I'm able to bring people back into this movement so that we can defeat Rachel Notley in the next election. That's what I'm concerned about. And you and I have always had frank, direct conversations on air and off air and and. To a certain degree, I want to believe that you care about building that big movement and bringing people back to the conservative movement and building the so-called big tent party that conservative leaders provincially and federally have been trying to do uh, with varying degrees of success for the past number of decades. But it comes back to like inviting Theo Fleury to your rallies like that's just going to be a non-starter for so many mm -hmm. people right like rubbing shoulders with Arthur Pavlovsky like that's a non-starter for so many people you know as well as I do you can't reconcile the two like mainstream Albertans I mean I like I, I have more than 225 comments to, to go to here but here's one you know Kathy says with Danielle's current platform if she would become leader of the UCB how would she think she'd be received by any moderate conservative or anyone further left than that on the spectrum taking the party further right will ensure they don't win the next election it's risky business don't you think 
I guess you and I always had a bit of a different approach. I, I always try to take the view that I can find common ground with virtually anyone. I don't necessarily will agree with 100% of, uh, of the guests I had on the air, for instance. Yeah, me neither. But I always wanted to make sure that I presented to my audience all, the full range of perspectives so that they could draw their own judgment. So that has always been my approach is that I will talk to anyone. And I will try to find some uh, sliver of common ground with them because I think that we've got way too much polarization. I mean, I, I, I valued being in the media because I thought it was that ground where the left and right could meet, hash it out, see if we could find some common ground and, and on issues. And I feel like we're going the opposite direction. I feel like there's only one right opinion being allowed in the mainstream of media, which is driving people both left and right to whether it's the Thai and Observer and Canada lands on the left or rebel media and True North and Western Standard on the right. And I, I would prefer for us to be able to, you know, stop taking cheap shots at each other on, on sidebar issues and talk about really meaty issues that matter. I mean, to me, uh, we just uh, announced another policy yesterday on health spending accounts, and I, I would rather I would rather have people say what they like and don't like about that because I'm getting attacked from left and right on it, mm. <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But I'd rather have a conversation about serious policy discussions. I mean, the reason I put that forward is there's so much of our healthcare system that is uh, is is not working because we have chronic conditions that are not managed, and people end up hospitalized, whether it's diabetes or obesity or COPD or or hypertension. And if we can get more money in the hands of people at the front end so that they can pay for the things that will keep them well, none of which is covered by our health insurance plan, it seems to me we'll save money at the back end by keeping people healthier. So those are the kind of things that maybe that's polarizing. I don't think so. I think that's the kind of I thing think the health spending account, together. I think it's the least polarizing thing you've put out there. <laughs> I watched all your videos on your website before we talked. Obviously, I need to know the background. I think some of the stuff is is interesting. 300 bucks a person per household. You said for a family of four, that's 1200 bucks. You talked about how it could be used. It's worth about 1.4 billion. People did the math. Um, some people are, I think, probably intrigued by the idea. Some people probably hate it inherently because it's your idea. And some people probably love it because it's your idea. There are some other things, some other videos on your website. Like, I don't know, I don't know how much time you have, Danielle. I mean, I can go forever. I suspect you may have other interviews. Well, I, it sounded like you have some good guests that you want to. Well, I do. So, up, let, so let's I, go a couple I more. I don't want to push it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, and I respect your time. And I know that your team's lined up other interviews for you as well. But like, for example, we, we got an email here uh, from someone who heard you speaking in Airdrie. Sarah heard you speaking in Airdrie. And, and, and she said, you know, uh, that you had apparently suggested that every plane, airplane coming out of Alberta could could be a charter flight everyone could be made diplomats to avoid international vaccine mandates and she wanted me to ask you about that i mean i saw one of your videos where you said justin trudeau's trying to control what you can say on the internet and you talked about you'd talk to independent service providers to ensure that alberta internet wouldn't allow for federal and i'm just kind of going like respectfully that's not real that's not a thing that's not realistic i don't know so i mean i think some of your policies are probably somewhat mainstream and i think some of them are I don't want to say bonkers, but I just don't think they're doable. I don't think they're realistic. Well, I guess the thing on the first one, we have to find some way to restore our Section 6 mobility rights if the federal government brings in a mandate again in the fall. That's uh, I, I don't know if uh, what I proposed there would work. I do know that uh, there have been others who have taken charter flights to the U.S. and come back and shown their passport and been able to get back in the country uh, because you're actually not allowed to prevent a Canadian from returning to their home country. So uh, I think we have to, to figure something out because we've got to maintain the uh, the, the free travel 
a transit of people across borders if the federal government decides to violate our rights again. I'll talk to some lawyers about the best way of doing that. But because I know that there are people who have done charter flights and been able to do it, that was what I was considering as a potential for us. Uh, I can't. Sorry, the second one was on. Oh, it's about Trudeau trying to control what people can say oh, on the internet. But- but 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 seriously, Ryan, I know somebody who's broadcasting from Florida into the Alberta market for that exact reason. They went down to the U.S. so that they uh, cannot can be out of the clutches of the federal government if they do come in with mandates. And you know how it works because you were in the mainstream media too. I mean, the mainstream media in radio and broadcasting is governed by the CRTC, and every time they have to defend their licenses, the the I think they're terrified about complaints or violations that might end up getting their licenses pulled. And I, I, I worry about that because I think it means that our media is not really free. If they're very, if they're concerned that the federal government holds life or death over their business, are we going to be able to have the, the media perform the role that they're supposed to? They're supposed to be the fourth estate that is holding institutions to account. Now, if you apply that same kind of regulatory oversight on all of the different uh, alternative media like you, what if your broadcast license got pulled? I wouldn't want to see that either. And so I think that we need to create mechanisms so that Alberta becomes a safe haven for free speech and freedom of the press. Also, uh, the two, two freedoms that are, are protected under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And if it requires us to have a non-terrestrial um, internet service pro- provider like Starlink to be able to make that happen, then we should be exploring th- doing things like that. What I hope that sounds very expensive. these kinds of... Well, I don't know that it would be. <laughs> I mean, most people are already paying for that on their own in the, in the rural areas that are actually quite happy with it. So let's let's see what it would look like um, first, because I, I think in fact it's going to Starlink is probably going to be the solution in the rural rural areas as it would be. But the main thing is, if we push back against Ottawa, it may make them think twice about pulling the the license to broadcast of any of our alternative media, which quite frankly I think is the the place where you're having more real conversations now than in the mainstream. I think we need both. In closing, uh, Don Braid, well-known political columnist, wondered aloud a couple of days ago by way of a headline, does Danielle Smith already have a lock on the premier's office? He's taking your campaign seriously. I know a lot of people are, and we'll wrap with this question. This is uh, from a real talker by the name of Bruce, uh, who wonders, Danielle, will you try to institute the Sovereignty Act if you win the leadership and you're sworn in as premier, or... Will you allow the people of Alberta to have their say by calling a general election? What would be your game plan? Hmm. Any time I've seen an early election called, uh, the party calling it gets punished. <laughs> so I look at Jean Chrétien, who did early election calls, and I look at Jim Prentice, who did an early election call. The the premier has set March end of and sorry end of May as the uh, the election. That would be my intention. And you would to stick to, to that. You wouldn't kick the ball further down the road either. No, uh, no, I may may gives us a lot of time. It allows for us to have a fall legislative session, and it, then it also allows us to have a spring legislative session. Now, keep, now keep in mind, many of the things I'm advocating for come from our UCP membership, and we have a a party that does look to the UCP membership for guidance. So people shouldn't be surprised that I'm actually going to be serious about implementing the things that UCP members have said they want. We did have a a referendum on equalization, ending equalization, It got 62% of the vote. And to me, that was an indicator that people want us to get really tough with Ottawa and start looking at ways to assert ourselves. So I think we do have a mandate from the people, which is why I I would continue on with the fixed election data as it was. 
We took you way past the time that uh, we asked you for, that we promised your team we would stick to. And I appreciate you taking these questions, Danielle. It's good to see you again. Good to see you as well. Take care. That's Danielle Smith, United Conservative Party leadership candidate. You call her a front runner? Depends on your perspective. Is there a front runner in this race? And if there is, isn't it, Danielle? I mean, at least publicly, that's the impression you'd get. She's campaigning hard. Her team is signing a ton of people up and raising a lot of money. Dropping that 175 grand all at once sends a message. The 5,000 signatures, you got to get them from different pockets of the province, including Edmonton. You've got to get those signatures in. Is it Travis Taves, the finance minister, who reportedly has the support of many of the existing United Conservative MLAs, but doesn't have a lot of name recognition, doesn't have a lot of brand awareness, so to speak? Is it some of the other candidates that have held office, ministries, cabinet ministries, Rebecca Schultz, uh, Leela here formerly, Rajin Sani, they've all been on the show here. Where are you at with this? Did, did hearing Danielle on the show change your mind in either direction? You can let us know to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I appreciate the literally hundreds of questions we received for this interview. That says something to me. And I know that our live chat was smoking. I barely had a chance to drop in on it because I wanted to make sure I was paying close (laughs) attention to what we were talking about. Lou on there. Lou's bailing me out because I kind of just glossed right over another pretty prominent candidate inadvertently, didn't I, Lou? And that's Brian Jean, another former leader of Alberta's official opposition. Brian Jean's got an experienced team behind him, and he seems to be playing it relatively quiet right now. That's got to be a strategy. It's not laziness. What's the deal there, I wonder? We will be talking to Brian Jean on the show. We endeavor to speak to all of the candidates in this leadership race, at least the serious candidates. I appreciate Mark sending us an email, and Mark wanted to draw Real Talker's attention to to a piece in the uh, Post Media Papers today uh, by David Cooper and Thomas Schneider. It's an opinion piece, invest in oil sands, clean up while energy is booming. Mark uh, writing in from his uh, role with the Polluter Pay Federation, the Alberta Liabilities Disclosure Project. We could talk about that for 20 minutes. Terry wrote in to uh, indicate concern. You know, we need a leader who's going to listen to everybody, not just church ministers and congregations that choose to not follow health guidelines. Says, I'm concerned, says Terry, that Danielle Smith's too narrow-minded. Let me just say, it's it's kind of, I I don't want to, this is a little bit of a bullshit move to, to, I mean, I am reading your comments, and, and, and that's why we ask for them, so I can read them. But I don't want to rail against Danielle without an opportunity. If I, I'm happy to call things wackadoodle and bonkers if she's here to defend them. But Terry goes on to say, I, just, I need to know what she'd do for the majority of Albertans, not just a few radical separatists. We got a lot of emails along those lines. Sarah wrote in, wanted to know more about how do we pursue a national energy policy but also refuse to work with ottawa i mean geez that could be the theme for a week's worth of shows i feel like we've done interviews on that for 25 years haven't we steve just says for him it's an issue about trust he says you know you you mentioned jespers in the 2012 election i mean these these the comments from a candidate his name was alan huntsberger back in 2012 that's 10 years ago but the so-called lake of fire incident that, that may have very well cost Danielle the premier's office wasn't her comment, but it was a candidate's comment. He said crossing the floor 
you know, supporting hydroxychloroquine in the early stages of the pandemic, talking about this sovereignty bill, ignoring federal laws. Why should Albertans trust her to lead us for Steve? It's an issue of trust. These are people who are telling us that their votes are up for grabs. These are engaged citizens. I mean, Twitter's just going nuts. How about this one from Lorefall? Thanks for being a fan of the show, Lorefall. Says, you know, why is it that teachers can't be trusted in their classrooms, but they can be trusted to run micro schools in their homes? I don't quite understand that, she says. The Theo Fleury thing. Hey, listen, I grew up. Uh, Theron Fleury was, I mean, you grew, you know, I grew up in Calgary. Theron Fleury was a hero to me growing up. You know, my top three flames of all time. I don't even have to think about it. I tell my friends all the time, Al McInnes, Theron Fleury, and Jerome McGinley. I adored Theron Fleury. I've interviewed Theo probably 10 times. Something's going on with that guy. You know, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, on July 8th, this is like less than a week ago, he tweets about, you know, Max Eisen, who suffered through unimaginable horrors during the Holocaust and survived. In the decades that followed, he dedicated himself to educating people everywhere about the atrocities that unfolded under the Nazi regime. Says the prime minister, I was saddened to learn of his passing yesterday. And then there's Theo responding. Are we suffering through yours now? <laughs> what? The Holocaust? pedophiles you know being able to track children through vaccines like what the fuck is Theron Fleury talking about so to me you know I say this to Daniel's face I did I'm gonna have a hard time wrapping my mind around somebody who could be very well representing the province of Alberta as its premier rubbing shoulders with some of the most fringe element conspiracy theorists in the country. And I don't know how Theron Fleury doesn't qualify as that. Dwayne Bratt, who is a, not just a political scientist out of Calgary, not just on the show the other day, but Dwayne and I and Danielle sat at the same desk on Global in April of 2019 at the Big Four building in Calgary on the Stampede Grounds, the conservative election night headquarters. As Jason Kenney rolled in in his big blue truck, Dwayne and Danielle know each other well. And, and Dwayne Bratt tweeting just yesterday about Theron Fleury's, you know, this event tonight says this puts a lie to those who claim that Danielle Smith is not anti-vax. She's just opposed to mandates. She's rallying with someone who believes that vaccines are a bioweapon created by Dr. Fauci, which will change your DNA, says Dr. Bratt. You can't get any more anti-vax crazy than that. It's a risk with the brand. It's a big risk with the brand. She knows what she's doing. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get in touch with us. We're going to turn the corner in a big way in just a second. I haven't spoken to my friend Mark Charrington in a long time, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Mark Charrington in just a moment. I wanted to remind you about the sponsors that ensure that we can keep these conversations going, important conversations where we take issues head on, we stare them down, and we get into them. That includes the team at Friesen Brothers. Just last night, had a couple of friends over, John. Mm -hmm. The boys were jumping on the trampoline. I saw you had a quite a platter here. I made life nice and easy, so we stopped by Friesen Brothers, and I picked up just a couple of quick grab-and-go. They're not technically charcuterie plates. 
charcuterie plates. Let me try that again. <laughs> they have a great grab-and-go section. Oh, man. My wife just stands there and looks at the olives and the, the Hot peppers and, cold. and the garlic. The stuff Stuffed you can take day. home and put in the oven. The stuff they'll bake for you fresh, like that Father Doe pizza. You'll find it all. Take the work out of it. Let the Red Seal chefs at Friesen Brothers handle all the hard work in the kitchen. You'll find Friesen Brothers in 16 Alberta locations. They are Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that there's still time this summer to look after some of the issues that are plaguing your outdoor space. How about through these rainy weeks we've just had in Western Canada? Did it reiterate the drainage issues you're having? Is it just a matter of time till you get that sump pump or that weeping tile installed? What are you waiting for? Another basement flood? These guys do excavation, retaining walls, all kinds of work. Plus, of course, the cosmetic magic that brings your outdoor space to life. You'll find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And if you're thinking of doing a big project on top of the house, you know what I'm talking about, solar panels, maybe prompted by this new $40,000 interest-free loan from the feds. Today's a great day to get your free quote from the Kubi Energy team. They're installing across Western Canada based out of Kamloops and Edmonton. Tesla certified installers. You're thinking, hey, I heard that in the background. Jespo said something about $40,000 in interest-free loan plus another five grand. If you're in Alberta right now, the team at Kubi Energy has all the details. Look them up at kubienergy.ca. They'll sort you out. Well, our next guest is, uh, quite frankly, uh, a remarkable person. I don't remember how Mark Charrington first wound up on my radar. No doubt it was through some form of advocacy. He's always looked out for the folks that other people look past. He'd never describe him like that, though. Mark's the type of guy who has never punched a clock, I don't imagine. He strikes me as someone that's on call 24 hours a day. He gives out his cell phone number to absolutely anybody, and he is constantly appearing in the courts in front of child and family services and participating in other exercises to ensure that folks aren't slipping through the cracks. It's a real pleasure to welcome Mark to the program. It's nice to see your face. You and I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and speak for several years, Mark. I think it's been three or four years since we last talked. Yeah, we're getting a little gray around our uh, our whiskers, eh? Yeah, we are getting a little bit well, older. Nice to see you, Ryan. Well, and, thanks. Uh, yeah. And uh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the offer. Yeah, you bet. Well, I, I don't want to be too cute about what's bringing the gray out in our beards, uh, but you... You deal with stress on a daily basis, Mark. Uh, you, you, you shoulder the burden for a lot of people. And uh, I think that stories like yours are incredibly important to be told on platforms like this. Did I describe you accurately with regards to what you want this audience to understand about what you do, what makes you tick, and what drives your advocacy? Yeah, I mean, um, hey, you, that guy works just as well, too. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm focused on helping people. I've always tried to help people. Uh, especially our most vulnerable uh, for since I was 18 and my dad hired me as a teacher's assistant to work with children that had uh, severe uh, disabilities and uh, I just fell in love with that sort of uh, work and uh, have moved on and have had the Beatles say a long and winding road and uh, uh, I still have a fair way to walk I guess before call my career an end Hmm. i've seen that you've done some work with some agencies um are you officially affiliated with any group or agency right now or are you still working as somewhat of a freelancer no i'm with the well i so i'm with the coalition for justice and human rights 
we're a group of like-minded folks. We're a registered charity. And, um, you know, I'm a very public figure, but I think the rest of the members of the coalition engage in the same critical work that I do, but they're more involved in what I call submarine warfare. You know, they're under under the water. You don't see them. They're all stealthy. And then they launch their torpedoes and, you know, sink ships just like I do. Because mm, um, you're not exactly the guy. I'm, I'm not going to, you're not, you're, are, are you a renegade? I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to pick this word properly. But you're a guy that's had to find ways around certain things to really cut to the chase and help people. Yeah, I mean, my my focus is trying to work with people uh, who have are in crisis, have huge issues involving the child welfare system, the justice system, the education system, the healthcare system, and you know, I'd like to say that why people would ask why do we need a human rights advocate in Canada in the 21st century? And all I have to say is, well, I'm fighting right now for a, uh, a 16 year old child mother of two who uh, has no means to support herself or her babies. And I'm fighting child welfare to open a file to protect that mother child. Um, I'm working with a man who made a, a serious complaint about the police uh, over a year and a half ago. And it's it's sitting on the chief's desk, not moving anywhere. I'm working with a an elderly transsexual woman um, uh, who who is begging on the streets on White Ave every day for for food. I mean, these are real issues, and you know, um, I really respect Daniel uh, Danielle Smith. I really uh, think that she's passionate, but you know, when we vote for a leader or we're voting, you know, if you're a member of the UCP and you're voting for a premier, I hope people understand what sort of leadership a person would bring to issues such as the Alberta Human Rights and Citizenship Commission, our WCB board, um, you know, uh, our child welfare system, our public education system. We have an exhausted and, and depleted healthcare system who have done amazing work, who, you know, I think all of them deserve the Order of Canada. Um, and what's going to happen to these fundamental systems? Government has a role in our society. We all are part of government. It is our government. And, you know, when we say socialistic or whatever, it's just flaming and, and rhetoric that's not healthy for our province right now. I think we need to really focus on issues such as health care, such as education, such as our education system, you know, and we need to focus on things other than sort of far out conspiracies and, and, and wacko science. I mean, we need a break from it. We've had it with Trump. We've had it with populist leaders for the last decade. It is time to focus on the people the majority of the people, as Richard Nixon once called it, the silent majority. And we're not doing that. And I'm seeing it every day. Uh, these people on the streets with no access to, you know, basic needs. Well, you and I, I mean, I would say that though we haven't uh, been able to 
connect with each other in conversation on the record. We're oftentimes in touch with one another. And, and, and I'm grateful you accepted the invitation to be here today. You were one of the first people I thought about. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday, the Bank of Canada increasing this, the, the, the lending rate for Canadians. Interest rate goes up by a full percentage point. It's going to have a huge impact on a lot of people's mortgages. It's going to have impacts on uh, industries like agriculture. Obviously, people paying variable rates for anything, lines of credit and otherwise. The list goes on. And a show like this endeavors to talk about real life, you know, to have real talk about how things like this impact people. We could try to get the governor of the Bank of Canada or we can bring on economists and they certainly obviously have their role, personal finance experts and the like. But I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to, to, to get a stark and honest uh, an unflinching analysis of what you're seeing for people who have seen Aish, for example, de-indexed uh, by this provincial government. We know that for a lot of people on social supports, it's been tougher now than ever before. And the cost of living's way up. I mean, if people have the luxury of having a vehicle, they're trying to figure out how to pay for gas. If they don't have a vehicle, they're trying to figure out how to handle rising costs everywhere else with groceries and utilities, whatnot. What are you seeing around you right now? I mean, there's a lot of individual stories I know that you could share with us. But generally speaking, your assessment of what the current state of the economy means for people at the lower end of that income spectrum. Uh, they're facing the whole effect of a tsunami. Um, you know, a bag of groceries costs $80. And we're not talking about meat. <laughs> we're talking about things like vegetables and fruits and uh bread and milk and staples. Uh, we're talking about, again, de-indexing uh, de de H, but I, I also like to talk about cuts by stealth in the sense that there is always the basic rate of social services you provide, let's say, again, uh, a 19-year-old mom of two. But then there are extras, so she might qualify for a bus pass or she might qualify for enhanced diet because one of her children are diabetic or she might qualify for uh, um, some enhanced supports because she has uh, you know mental health issues what's been happening recently has been that those sort of sort of um, extras aren't being provided anymore so we have cuts by stealth uh, and it's affecting people dramatically that are dependent on social assistance. And I know there's, you know, I don't know why we still have this argument that, uh, well, they can just find a job. When you have severe FASD or you have autism uh, or you have issues associated with, uh, um, you know, mental health or whatever, sometimes you have to accept that a a group of our populations unemployable. So what do you do with these people? Well, you have to support them. You have to provide them access to basic needs because if you don't, they're going to find their own means to have access to basic needs. And that means either a rise in crime, that might mean a, a more of a an impact on our emergency rooms, on our um, child welfare system, you know, these are these are these are issues that I think aren't being talked about in the election. And when, and it seems like almost like um, when we do talk about it, it's just sort of a, a general two word little two sentence sort of a brief about it. But, yeah, the inflation is having a huge impact 
on everybody that I'm working with. Mm. Uh, even the price of gas, even, uh, even to, you know, for me to do my job, to try to do my job, you know, if I'm driving a, um, an elderly man to treatment in Lethbridge, that costs a lot of bit, that costs quite a bit more now than it, than it used to. If I'm um, going out and getting a box of diapers or uh, some baby Advil at two in the morning, that costs quite a bit more than it used to. So inflation is having a dramatic effect on people that have no access to financial resources. Um, and it's, it's, it's causing a significant increase, at least in my opinion, what I'm seeing of mental health issues, of people ending up in emergency rooms uh, because they haven't eaten in a number of days or they're, uh, you know, they can't afford medication. There's all these aspects of inflation that we don't really talk about. We talk about mortgages and car payments. Exactly. But we don't talk about baby Advil. We don't talk about a box of diapers. We don't talk about uh, a bus pass or we don't talk about a, in a in a motel room when you've been evicted by your slum landlord the night before. These are all costs that uh, people that are very vulnerable and have, uh, you know, uh, have no means to, to, to pay for this, somehow having to afford this. Again, I'm talking about this elderly lady and I, she is my hero. She, she's 65, 64 and, and she, she identified who she was in the 70s and she took vile abuse and, and hatred and racism from systems from people and she, she's moved on and she she continues to fight and struggle and i see her on white ave begging for change so she can get some food like what sort of province do we have that we have these these issues like you know we, we're talking about and we're you know, high-fiving each other and fist bumping when we, we get a $3.6 billion surplus. Okay, now spend it where we need it. Spend it on these human beings that that are deserving of at least some dignity and quality of life. I'm not, we're not talking a lot about a lot of money, but I can tell you with this elderly lady, if she doesn't get help, if she doesn't eat, she's diabetic, has um, type two diabetes, she's gonna end up on hospital. You know, we're, we're, we're a system that's, we're a society that's becoming crueler and, and, and hurting more and, and, and hating more. And I see it from our politicians from all stripes. And I wonder, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are, we, why are we in this sort of frame in this time in life where, you know, uh, people hate each other? And why do you just, think we are? It's, it's because of populism. It's because of, at least this is my opinion, it's because we have vilified groups of individuals. You, you're a left-wing nut bar or you're a right-wing zealot or, you know, uh, you're... It, 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 it's because of this, you know, as, as Pierre Trudeau said, in part, I think it's part, I mean, we're the mouse beside the elephant. And the U.S. went down that rabbit hole and we sort of got sucked into this black hole of hate and, 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 and disgust towards each other. Um, you know, um, and it, I, you know, listening to your last guest, I, I, I see tinges of that. 
but I also looking at the comments and I see tinges of hate towards her. I agree, and I'm glad you said that. I mean, you know, um, we have to stop this. You know, I when I speak of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, I don't go Trudeau or Justin. He earns that right. He earned that right. He got the mandate of Canadians. You know, we used to call people that were elected Premier Kenny or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but now it's, oh, it's, you know, it's, again, it's that still subtle words of vilifying, of, of, of bemoaning people. And I think it's having an affect on our community in general. And I'm, I'm asking all politicians of all stripes to stop this rhetoric, to stop this hate, to stop this demonizing of, of people that are exercising their, their point of view and their, and their, their right of living in this country of democracy. Do Sorry I for that rant, but it, it's don't, very passionate. Don't you dare apologize, Mark. This is I knew that we were going to have this conversation. You're a thoughtful, contemplative, sincere, empathetic, remarkable person. Um, I, I think it's worth people knowing that you and I literally, I texted you and said, hey, can you come on the show tomorrow around 9.10? You said, yeah, perfect. I said, I'll send you the Zoom link, and that was it. We didn't roll into this with questions. We didn't. I just, I know every time I talk to you, um, you light a fire in me. You remind me of things. I like this, like Brenna, for example, in our live chat says, Jesperson, you need to put these questions that Mark's asking to your next leadership candidate. Like, how would they help people in the situations that Mark describes? And Brenna's bang on. I mean, you know, these aren't these aren't like the sexy questions, though, that sell the interviews. Right, Mark? Do you agree? I mean, it's not like, you know, if, if I lead off a political interview by asking, what will you do for society's most downtrodden? Most people will say, well, what's the energy policy? What's the environmental policy? Right. How would the intergovernmental, you know, what would the premier do with the. And it's like, how is this not important when we're talking about what you reiterate time and time again, which is basic human dignity? And I really hope as a society that we haven't lost our I was going to say our appreciation for it. Let me say our insistence that we preserve that to at least a basic level. So let me ask you this, you know, inspired by Brenna's comment there, you know, what's one thing that you would like to see the next premier of Alberta commit to? What's something specific you'd like to put them on the spot for? Um, compassion. <laughs> yeah, I think if people are compassionate, then everything else will fall into place. Uh, you know, it's easy to, uh, to hate. And it, it feels good sometimes inside your gut to hate. Uh, and you do, maybe you don't get that satisfaction when you when you exercise compassion, um, you know. And I and I work with people that have done terrible things, um, and I'm not saying don't forget, but I think it's time that sometimes we forgive, um, and you know. So I, I hope you know whatever, whoever is is our next premier exhibits that as their guiding light as their their movement forward i mean we can as long as you're compassionate about albertans and canadians um, we can get through any problem uh, any situation uh, we it inspires uh, inspires teamwork and consensus it inspires people to listen you know, um, 
one one UCP candidate, and I I'm not following politics that much. I I tried it once and I failed miserably. Um, but one, for context, one, can I let people know that you ran in in Edmonton Greaseball, right? In in was it? Correct me if I'm wrong. 2019, you ran against Kerry Diot, the conservative MP. He won, but that riding did go. I think, is it safe to say that you paved the way, Mark, that you blazed the trail? You set the table for Blake Desjardins, who came in for the NDP, same party you had run for, and beat Mr. Diot in the next federal election, correct? Are my facts right on that? I, I would say that the, the, the team that was behind me paved the way. Uh, I was brought in ra- rather late in the game. I'd wish I had had uh, more time to walk around the neighborhoods and talk to people. But, you know, the Griesbaugh is represented by a very kind, compassionate man who understands the diversity. When I ran in Griesbaugh, I was really concerned because Griesbaugh is in the top 10 ridings with the most poverty, child poverty in the country and people go what it can't be but it is you, you, you know, google it you'll you'll see that um and i think uh, mr desjardins the member of parliament for griesbach understands that and would make is making him uh, as an excellent member of parliament and i'm not if i ever ran again i would not belong to a party i was really kind of turned off about the political aspect mm. i think we there's too much politics and not enough good governance. Mm. Uh, you know, the I only thing that sucks, though, Mark, is that independents never win. Well, it's just it's just true. It sucks, but it's true, you know, yeah. and, and, and it keeps people like you that we need in politics out of politics. Yeah, but to, I, yeah, I guess you're right. And, and I, that's it. That's I guess that's just something that is uh, regretful but yeah you're right if you run as an independent but you know if i did it again hell with i would like to get my message out i would like to get people to at least hear what i'm saying and understanding um, and my understanding of issues as opposed to being given a press release to talk and talking points to parrot as opposed to well what's really important to griesbaugh as opposed to what's uh, um you know, Jagmeet, Jagmeet Singh's vision of, of, of Griesbach. Um, you know, those sorts of things are important, I think. And I, if we can't be independent, uh, run as independents, then I think we need to shift and, and, and focus how each party allows its members and its MPs or its MLAs to to speak freely and openly about their issues. I mean, there's lots of things wrong with the American system, in my opinion, but one of them is that there seems to be more independence per for each member of the Congress, uh, whether they're Democrat, Democratic or, um, or Republican. At least in the states, they seem to be more focused on their writings as opposed to the political structure that they're part of. Mm. And I think that's in that way it's healthy. And, and I think if we want to emulate one thing from the American political system, that would be it: is to have a bit more independence with our elected officials within those party structures. Uh, Mark, before I thank you for your time, uh, I think people would benefit from understanding sort of how it works with you, how, how people come across your radar, um, how people reach out to you. I, if if my understanding of your 
not your business model, but but is correct. You are aren't you donor funded? The work that you're doing free service. I'm a free service to everybody, uh, king and pauper. Uh, you know, I tell everybody I'm a free service, and I don't accept any government funding or I have no funding streams except from people that donate. Yeah, um, and 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 that I, I I mean, if you just go to my Twitter um, account. You'll see the whole link. It's the pinned tweet. It's the easiest way for me to explain it. Um, and, you know, if you know, pay for that one bus ticket for this for, you know, three fifty a month or 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 uh, help with a bus pass and, and, you know, do a one off for seventy two dollars or, or anything. Um, everything helps. And. I don't have any marketing, as you can tell by the clumsy way I'm sort of talking about myself. I don't have any sort of uh, infrastructure behind me. Uh, I want to mention that I am uh, Liberty Law, which is one of Canada's largest criminal law firms, uh, provides me free office space hmm. and the infrastructure. And I think it's a really good model that maybe if you own a business or have a large part of a large corporation that you might want to um, donate some of your office space to some of these amazing charities that are uh, struggling right now because of inflation, because of donor exhaustion. Um, and yeah, so Liberty Law has been really supportive and I couldn't have done it without them. And, uh, you know, not that these books mean anything to me. I was actually very impressed by your background <laughs> of leather bound books. I wasn't sure if it was real or not. I thought it might be one of those green screen type backgrounds, but look at you. No, they're real. I just don't read them. Uh, they're for the uh, amazing lawyers at this firm that yeah. uh, practice criminal law. Yeah. Well, Mark, people can follow you on Twitter at Mark Charrington. Of course, we've uh, linked to your profile from our official account at Real Talk RJ, and people can learn more about the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights by visiting Coalition Four, the number four, Coalition Four, JHR dot org. Uh, your comments and the spirit of your comments today have resonated in a big way with our audience. Just wait till the podcast drops. I think you'll hear from a lot of people today. Keep up the amazing work, Mark. Uh, it's unbelievable. I can't imagine. And I've interviewed you before and I've pursued this question and I know you're not going to give me a real answer because you never do because you always shift the focus and the praise to your teammates and your supporters and the people that you work with. But I can't imagine the toll uh, mentally, emotionally, physically that what you do takes on you. You talk about helping somebody out at two in the morning and then being in court with somebody at nine and then helping somebody at noon and helping somebody at 6.30 p.m. Uh, it's an around-the-clock kind of a remarkable commitment, and uh, I admire the hell out of you, and it's great to see your face again. Yeah, you too, Ryan, and uh, I enjoy these moments uh, talking to your community and, and with you, and, yeah, I'm I'm always a yup away. All right, beauty. It's great to see you. That's Mark Charrington. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Charrington. What a human, right? Amazing. This it's, is such a a <laughs> it's like where the majority of people, me included, will see a problem and say, no, that's a real problem. We need to do something about that. Mark just does something about it. And, and let me just say, great guests today, how we went. Everyone was inflamed on the chat, and then Mark kind of. Just calm them down. Oh, and that's what we want on the show, <laughs> not to like inflame people. And I, and I also don't think that, you know, everyone's inflamed on something because I don't think that we have the audience as this monolith where everybody believes the same thing. It's not the show we want to host. 
That's not the audience I want to build and want to encourage diverse thought. We want to encourage different points of view. But yeah, I mean, Danielle Smith lights a fire under people in positive and negative ways. Like she really inspires a lot of people. They're really in- enthusiastic about mm-hmm. her campaign. You know, raise 175 grand and get 5,000 signatures yeah. if nobody cares about what you're doing. Obviously. And, and she upsets a lot of people too. And she knows that. Uh, I mean, you've been in politics and talk radio for 15, 20 years. You're no stranger to pissing off some people and inspiring others. That's just the way that it goes. But it was intentional uh, to bring Mark on the show today. I just we want to provide an opportunity uh, not just to talk to the big players that you see on the front page all the time, not just to talk to the people that you would recognize at home or halfway around the world, but to talk to the people that you've never heard of before. That are doing remarkable things. Uh, I, I saw a comment from Charlotte, who's watching us this morning, and and I apologize, I don't have it because the chat's just been moving today, so I don't have it in front of you. But she said something along the lines of, she said, "I've never heard of Mark before, but but what a uh, here it is. Uh, never heard of Mr. Charrington before. What a thoughtful reflection. I so appreciate that. That from Charlotte, who's watching us this morning. I think that says it all. I love when he said, uh, you know, it's not as satisfying to be compassionate rather than like, you know, to win an argument. That just really resonated with me. I I am along the same lines of thinking, but I often lose myself. You know, I don't argue online anymore, but often like you do when you when I used to, you get that immediate satisfaction of, of trying to be right. But being compassionate is just the better route for everyone, for hmm. all of humanity, right? So let's take that with us today. I really like. Let's when he walk said with that. it. I was like, oh, I got to retweet yeah. exactly that quote after the show. So we welcome your thoughts, your reflections, as, as Charlotte just put it, thoughtful reflections. I mean, hell, every Monday or at least the first show of every week, we present positive reflections uh, presented by our friends at Kubi Energy, and we want to hear from you. What's filled your bucket? What's inspired you? What was a random act of kindness that you witnessed, or or, or maybe that you carried out? We got a positive reflection a while ago from somebody who told us they felt bad about submitting it because it was something that they had done for someone. (laughs) I wrote them back and I said, well, if you want, I can present it as you heard that somebody did this for someone and they laughed and they got back into, well, they just said, I'm going to read it. It's included in in next week's positive reflections. You know, of course, every Friday as well, we present trash talk and uh, that's uh, courtesy of our friends at local environmental services if, if you got a bee in your bonnet a burr under your saddle something you got to get off your chest you can email it to us uh and also keep in mind you know, there's value to keeping it local isn't there you know some people might say in the context of garbage or recycling oh it's only garbage not to local environmental services they believe communities deserve better better service better prices more support for local causes uh, the best example most recently was their partnership, Local Environmental Services. They they uh, they handle waste and recycling for this uh, tiny little location you might have heard of yeah. called West Edmonton Mall. Oh, I have, yes. Yes, you may have heard of it. Well, you'll see green local environmental bins all around one of the world's biggest malls, but they were involved in the Mayor of the Mall, the Mayor for a Day initiative, which was super cool. Maya was the Mayor of the Mall for a Day that was uh, coordinated with Adaptabilities, which is an amazing nonprofit group doing great work local environmental services takes their community commitments seriously it's why so many people are partnering with them why their business is expanding like it is across the prairies and into saskatchewan regina they've got a whole lot going on there as well if you're a real talker joining us from the land of living skies you can find them online at localenvironmental.ca 
Talk to our friends at Sherwood Dodge just yesterday. I'm driving that, you know, that Ram 1500, the crew cab, which has been amazing. The four doors, nice for the dogs. Lots of room for the two car seats now. I had Wyatt's birthday gift in the back. I needed some room. It's it's rather hefty. (laughs) So it was in the bed of the truck coming home from the store yesterday. I can't say what it is just in case the little munchkin's watching, but... He shouldn't be watching Real Talk on a day like today. All right, fine. We got him a kayak, and I was able to fit the Whoa. kayak. And I'm so excited. He's going to lose his mind. Anyway, I was glad I had that Ram 1500. You know, for a lot of other people, you might say, well, I'm trading in my Ram because of that Hemi power. I don't need it with gas at 210 a liter. So you're looking for something more fuel efficient. Their sales team can help you out, whether it's a pre-owned inventory or the new inventory you're looking for. We recommend you talk to the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And John, today in the feature, in the spotlight that is, for the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, I thought we'd talk about the Nestle Drumstick with Peanuts Blizzard Treat. Oh. This is the one that I had most recently. You know the drumstick, one of the classic ice cream treats of all time. Well, imagine crushing one in your fist and then mixing it into that classic Dairy Queen soft serve. The choco-covered drumstick pieces, peanuts, a nostalgic summer treat you're sure to love. It's back and bringing the fun all summer long. You can find these Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road in Sherwood Park. You make sure you let them know you're there because you're a fan of real talk. As mentioned, of course, we place a big emphasis on this show on talking to people that are living their real lives, that are affected by political policy at the ground level. And tomorrow, I'm excited to confirm that one of our regulars in the live chat is going to make his return to the show. That's right. He's promised he's not going to schedule any patients for at least 20 minutes. Out of the gates, Dr. Bradley Martin is going to check in a family physician from beautiful Hinton, Alberta, the gateway to the Rocky Mountains. We'll get his assessment of how the healthcare system's holding up. What's he seeing in his clinic? Plus, an Alberta politics roundtable. That's the Friday edition of Real Talk. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is reported in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. 